Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4s Senior DFS Editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always by my guy, Mr. TJ Hernandez. Did you get beat up for a crockpot, TJ? No, nah, man, I told you, I don't I don't mess with that. I stayed home, nice and comfy, uh, stayed in town, no traveling, just uh, lots of eating, lots of drinking, and uh, a lot of DFS. Two, two big slates, that was fun. Oh yeah, it was a really good week, good, nice little profitable week for me. So I uh, hope you guys out there had similar luck last week. Hope you guys had a happy holiday, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in for week 13. We'll get to our position by position picks for the main slate. We'll break down the primetime slate. First, want to let you know that the song that played us in was Can I Kick It by A Tribe Called Quest off people's instinctive travels in the passive rhythm all the way back in 1990 think this is our first tribe called quest song i might be wrong but how to get those guys on the podcast sooner or later classic check it out tribe called quest people's instinctive travels and the passive rhythm tj somebody that got a rhythm on thanksgiving was philip rivers talk about him at quarterback this week quarterback yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, all the matchups and, and the high implied totals this week, uh, the Chargers are really the only team that uh, pairs a a high implied point total with with a really great matchup. We have some okay matchups, some decent spots, but uh, this is the one that really stands out. I, I know you you uh, mentioned some of of Cleveland's volume numbers on on Twitter late last night, but I, I think Rivers is still in a pretty good spot here. Uh, Eight thousand dollars on Fanduel, seven thousand dollars on DraftKings and Chargers are biggest favorites of the week, favored by almost two touchdowns and projected to score 28 points. Uh, I think a lot of that will come through the air. Cleveland ranks 28th in 4 for 4 schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. They've uh, allowed multiple touchdowns through the air in three of their last four games. And uh, in the red zone, they've been particularly bad. Only one team has allowed a higher red zone touchdown rate through the air than the Browns and Philip Rivers. I mean, not even just last week, over the past six weeks, he's been uh, very efficient. And that's what we're looking for in our quarterbacks. Uh, over the last six weeks, only three quarterbacks are averaging more fantasy points per pass attempt than Rivers. And that's uh, extracting fantasy points just from pass attempts. That's not looking at uh, any any numbers, including rushing. So guys like uh, Russ and Cam Newton, the, their numbers aren't being divided by by pass attempts or anything. So through the air, Rivers has been very very efficient. I really like this spot for uh, a, a lot of a lot of the Chargers. But uh, as our guy Rummy likes to say, syrup over pancakes. So uh, Rivers for me this week. Yeah, man, it's an interesting kind of slate. I don't think there's as many slam dunk quarterback plays as you'd usually see on the slate. Even a guy like Russell Wilson has somewhat of a difficult matchup this week, and he's not even on the draft. <clears throat> excuse me, the DraftKings main slate. So I certainly do think you have to uh, look at Rivers, even though the Browns have kind of been limiting 
passing volume this season overall just because of their own struggles on the offensive end. And for similar reasons, I'm going to go way down in salary and kind of go with a guy that maybe on a, a normal week might not be quite as viable, but on a week like this, uh, Brett Hundley, I think, is a really interesting play at 5,100 uh, on DraftKings and 6,400 on, excuse me, uh, yeah, 6,400 on FanDuel. And he kind of had a little coming out party last week on uh, primetime in uh, in Pittsburgh. He, against a very good defense, 245 yards, three touchdowns, and on the broadcast, I believe it was Chris Collinsworth mentioned that Hunley kind of learned how to throw the ball in the cold weather between uh, the week before and last week, said he was under throwing some balls in the cold air the week before, kind of got that fixed. And you could see the results kind of play out on the field in that game where Hunley clearly had his best you know, game yet, um, 17 to 26. So uh, you know, 9.4 yards per attempt, a career high for him. So I think he can keep that going this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that is because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been a really poor defense uh, against the pass all season, 26 in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed two quarterbacks. But what I think even more importantly, they are going to travel from Tampa up to Lambeau Field for this game and Tampa Bay on the road has been an absolute disaster on defense allowing over 31 points per game on the road compared to 15.2 at home 261.6 yards and 1.2 touchdowns with 6.4 yards per attempt at home very solid numbers for the Tampa Bay defense but when they go on the road that goes up to 310.8 yards two touchdowns and 9.8 passing yards per attempt. So just really, really stark splits between the home and road games for this Tampa Bay defense. I think this is something that at this salary and given that Brett Hundley can run around a little bit, Devontae Adams has been coming on, still got Jordy Nelson over there, still got Randall Cobb. Um, Jamal Williams has been able to do some things in the passing game as well as take some pressure off of him in the running game as well. I just think Hungley can give you enough at his muted salary, which didn't increase despite his good game because it was on a primetime game on Sunday night football. So, you know, I think Brett Hungley is another guy that in this week you have to look at at the quarterback position. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually watching that game, and I think that Collinsworth said it was it was something as simple as he Hundley just wasn't throwing the ball hard enough. He said I have to throw the ball harder. Uh, so it looks like they got that fixed. And yeah, you you mentioned it. I mean, this is going to be a week where uh, I think we're going to see a lot of unfamiliar names pop up, and it's going to be a, a spot where maybe some people that. Uh, just started playing DFS, maybe because they're not uh, they're out of their their redraft leagues or whatnot. Might be a, a little hesitant to roster some of these guys that look like good values. If you just go to the four four value reports, we see a, a lot of unfamiliar names, and uh, it hasn't been the case a lot this season, especially at running back. We've seen um, a lot of of the top running backs performing week in and week out, but uh, with Pittsburgh not on the main slate and and uh, some guys falling off like uh, like. Kareem Hunt and Melvin Gordon. There's going to be a lot of uncomfortable names at quarterback and other positions. So uh, paying down a lot of positions this week and taking some of those uh, what might feel like uncomfortable hits, I think is going to be uh, the way to go and and sticking 
with Brett Hundley, I, I think that you mentioned it, Tampa Bay's defense just uh, they haven't been playing well. And, and for that reason, the running back running back. I'm going to be targeting as one of my value plays is Jamal Williams, uh, 5,700 on FanDuel, $4,700 on DraftKings. Four for four projects him as a top two value on both sides. He's actually the top projected running back value on DraftKings. He's seen at least 21 touches in three straight games. And if we look at uh, his team touch marks over the last three games, 36%, 45%, and 61%. Uh, so trending upwards in terms of how much workload Williams has been taking on really becoming uh really the focal point of this offense I, I don't know if that has much to do with helping out Hunley after they've come out of the bye we've seen a couple shifts um in philosophy obviously some injuries in the backfield have uh have to do with that but uh five plus targets in consecutive games so Williams is is really been involved in every aspect and uh Tampa Bay They've been a team that we've attacked through the air all year with our quarterbacks and our receivers, but uh, they've they've really been trending down against running backs lately. They're, they've allowed five running backs to score at least 20 PPR points this season. Only three teams have allowed uh, five or more uh, running backs to score 20 PPR points against them, and uh, they rank 21st in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs and and. Uh, for those that don't know, that's a, a rolling 10-week average we use to calculate the uh, adjusted fantasy points allowed. And and of those five games that I've mentioned, uh, three of them have came in the last six weeks. So it's been uh, especially bad lately for Tampa Bay uh, on all aspects, really. Yeah, Tampa Bay just struggling to play D on the road for whatever reason and kind of a disappointing year for them. I'm going to go with a familiar name at the running back position and that's Todd Gurley. He's 8200 on DraftKings, 8800 on FanDuel. He is the fantasy RB1 and he's fourth in the league in touches per game, 22.6. Put up a 22 for 106 rushing line with a touchdown against this pretty stout Arizona run defense the last time these two teams played in London, but more importantly is the work that Gurley does in the passing game. And that's why he is been, he has been scoring so many fantasy points pretty much week in and week out. And one of the reasons he has a high floor is what he's doing in the receiving game. He's third among running backs with 479 receiving yards, eighth in receptions uh, at the position with 42. And if you do the math, you can see that he's averaging over 10 yards per reception and this is something that the Arizona Cardinals have actually struggled with on defense they're allowing 9.3 receptions per game by running backs over the past five weeks that's tied for most in the NFL and this season they're actually giving up the third most receptions per game by the position at 6.2 so even if Gurley struggles a little bit with the run defense, which he didn't last time, but it's always a possibility. Uh, he still has that floor in the passing game. He's still going to see a lot of work in the red zone, in the goal line, in the goal line area. And especially with Robert Woods continuing to be out, I think you're going to see Gurley majorly involved in the passing game and continue to be a focal point of this offense. And, He's a guy that, you know, in, in a week where, again, you know, it's kind of an interesting week where there's a lot of 
players that we're looking at that we might not look at in other weeks. I think Gurley's a guy that you can still count on at the running back position. Yeah, and uh, it it should be relatively easy to get to Gurley this week because we mentioned there's there are quite a few values uh, spread across all the positions, and I mean not only his workload, but just he, he gives you a floor in terms of being part of that backfield that really you're only getting from Le'Veon Bell. He's accounted for 100% of the running back touches for the Rams in back-to-back games. I mean, even the the best running backs, that you just don't see that ever. So uh, when you're getting all the backfield touches, his floor is just, it's so high. It's pretty crazy right now. Wide receiver. Yeah, so moving on to to wide receiver, um, last Packer. I know we already got two Green Bay Packers in here, but um, on Fanduel, I like Devonte Adams at sixty five hundred uh, against Tampa Bay, who we mentioned. Uh, we have Adams projected as a top two value on both sites. Where Tampa Bay has really struggled is against wide receivers. They rank last in the league in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. They've allowed the most receptions, the most yards and the second most touchdowns to the position. And uh, I, I mentioned with Williams that we've seen a couple major shifts in uh, the Packers offense, especially since the bye week. And uh, since that bye week five weeks ago, Adams has th- seen 30% of the team targets, at least 25% target share uh, in each of those four games, averaging over nine targets per game in that span. And then uh, he's also been seeing deeper routes. If we look at the season-long um, average depth of target for their receivers. Uh, Nelson has the, the deeper average depth of target, but since the bye week, uh, Adams is the only player that's seen uh, average depth of target over 10 yards, 11.1 uh, yards per target, 48% team of the team's air yards. And I think that could really come into play here because uh, Tampa Bay allows the most catches and touchdowns on deep balls. And deep balls, according to pro football reference, are balls that travel at least 15 plus uh, yards downfield so gonna see that volume gonna see the deep balls and uh, that that could turn into a huge game and following that train of thought following those deep targets moving over to DraftKings, a player that i like is, is robbie anderson and actually the the reason i saved anderson for DraftKings and and uh adams on FanDuel is because anderson's cheaper than Adams on DraftKings. He's more expensive on on FanDuel. Robbie Anderson, $6,300 on DraftKings versus the Chiefs. And Chris, uh, Robbie Anderson, was he was the highlight of this this week's uh, Ray Bonds review. You talked about those deep targets and how value how valuable they are. And you've talked about it in past articles and studies as well. Um, Anderson's seen a touchdown in five straight games, 27 deep targets or top 10 in the league. And a, a lot of people look to those deep targets on FanDuel because they do offer uh, touchdown equity, but they're also really valuable on DraftKings because you get that 100-yard bonus. So uh, that that really comes into play here also against this Chiefs defense. Chiefs rank 29th in wide receiver adjusted fantasy points allowed, and a lot of that has come from the deep ball. They've allowed the second most receptions on deep balls, and they're one of two teams allowing at least 13 yards per reception uh, this week. So I, I think Anderson is in a spot to continue his hot streak that you talked about. Most definitely, and I love it, you know, the call of just targeting the pricing uh, differences between the sites because yeah, Anderson's price way up on FanDuel. I think he's in the seven seven yeah, thousands. Yeah, and then Adams' price is exactly the same on DraftKings and FanDuel sixty five on both. So I really like kind of 
targeting those price differences and kind of diversifying that way. If you guys are playing multiple sites, be sure to kind of target those guys on the sites where they are cheaper to kind of maximize the value you're getting with them. For for me, I'm going with DeAndre Hopkins over on DraftKings. He's over only at 7,300 on, on the site. And I think that's just too low for him. You know, he's gone over 100 yards in 50% of Tom Savage's uh, <clears throat> last four starts after he, he went uh, two of seven in 100-yard games uh, over his first seven games. Only one of those was with Savage. Uh, so two of six with Watson. And 12.3 targets per game over the last four games with Savage compared to 10.9 with Watson. So um, been a little less efficient in the touchdown category has Hopkins with Savage, but making up for it with volume, he's averaging six catches at 99 and a half yards and 0.5 touchdowns over these last four games with Tom Savage as the QB um, with Deshaun Watson. He was averaging 6.4 catches, 86.6 yards and one touchdown. So he's still been very productive no matter how you look at it no matter who the quarterback has been as long as it hasn't been Brock Osweiler and uh, Hopkins overall second in the league 11.4 targets per game and the Tennessee Titans they are vulnerable to the wide receiver position uh, 22nd in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed we've seen Hopkins go to uh, Arizona or play Arizona and kind of beat Patrick Peterson for a touchdown. So I'm not really concerned about matchups with him, but I think 7,300 is way too cheap. Would have probably been up a little closer to 8K had their game not been on Monday night against the Ravens where he went seven for 125 in that game. And then on FanDuel, we'll go to Mike Evans. He is 75 Hundred and that's actually his lowest salary on FanDuel since week nine of the 2015 season. And just in time to go against the Green Bay Packers defense that we saw them struggle uh, right on Sunday night football. They've been struggling all season long to cover wide receivers. They rank 31st in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position, giving up 43.5 schedule adjusted PPR points per game. So there should be uh, enough production to go around for Mike Evans and Green Bay 30th in DVOA versus number one wide receivers. That's according to football outsiders. And also according to football outsiders, Green Bay is allowing the third most targets per game and yards per game to wide receiver one. So 9.1 targets per game and 88.5 yards per game to a team's number one wide receiver. That bodes very well for Mike Evans. He's averaging 9.6 targets per game. That's tied for seventh in the league. His lowest uh, amount of targets was six, and that was a game where he got ejected, did not finish that game. He's had 60 or more yards in eight of 10 games, so he hasn't had really the blow-up spots that we've seen from him in the past, but even amidst the quarterback change and the team just pretty much struggling all year, he has been consistent, giving you a consistent yardage floor. He's still tied for ninth in the league in red zone targets with 13 and tied for fourth in the league in targets inside the 10 with eight. So Mike Evans at that low salary on FanDuel, you know, he's only about $300 more than a guy like Robbie Anderson. So I think you want to take advantage of, of that on fan. And it looks like he's going to get Jameis back. So, so that gives him a, a added boost. And I mean, uh, that just looks like a, a game that we're, we're probably going to be targeting pretty heavily. Titan. 
moving on over to tight end. Uh, a guy that I'm looking at, I think a lot of people should be looking at is Jared Cook. Uh, pretty good value at 5500 on FanDuel, $5,400 on DraftKings. Should be the de facto wide receiver one. I think uh, Amari Cooper's out with a concussion and an ankle injury. Crabtree's suspended for one game. And uh, Oakland gets to host uh, the Giants, who have officially punted their season. The The Raiders are open to seven-point favorites. Now they're favored by nine and a half. I'm guessing that has to do with uh, uh, the news that Geno Smith is going to be starting. The Raiders have an implied point total of, of 25 and a half and the Giants are the only team that rank in the bottom 10 and adjusted fantasy points allowed to every skill position uh, that obviously includes tight end where they allow the third most yards per target and only six teams throw at a higher rate in the red zone than the Raiders um, as I mentioned with Cooper and Crabtree out I think Cook should be the de facto red zone target uh, according to red zone expected value, he is, is the top touchdown regression candidate among tight ends. And for those new to the podcast or to four for four, basically what that does, it takes all the players, uh, opportunities inside the red zone and calculates, a average expected scoring based on where those plays started. And, uh, based on cooks, nine red zone targets this year, he should have about two red zone touchdowns already. Hasn't found the end zone yet from inside the red zone, but uh, I, I think with the the Geno Smith effect that the Raiders should have some increased scoring opportunity. I've talked about this uh, quite a bit the past few weeks with the Broncos that when you have a, a quarterback that is going to uh, turn the ball over and, and give the opposing team shorter fields to work with, um, that's a, a really underrated aspect and how to find some added touchdown equity. And obviously we know uh, uh, Geno Smith definitely uh, has the ability to do that, turn the ball over. Uh, Giants are pretty much in disarray, uh, down a, a cornerback now. So they're, they're def- uh, Janoris Jenkins is out. So both sides of the ball, just losing pretty much their best players everywhere. Um, Oakland can can really put, a, put a, a whooping on Giants this week. Oakland's still playing for a playoff spot. The AFC West is wide open. So uh, Oakland's going to come in here serious, and Giants are pretty much done for the year. Yeah, man, it's it's crazy. I don't know how Eli Manning sitting and, and Ben McAdoo is still head coaching. I, I think that's kind of wrong. I don't think benching him at this point was necessary. You know, coming into the season, I was highly critical of Eli and the Brandon Marshall signing wasn't as bullish on the Giants offense as probably most people were. But um, after watching this season unfold, I think Eli, especially at this point, is really the least of the team's problems. I mean, he didn't even have Sterling Shepard mm-hmm. for these last few weeks and so I don't even know how he gets benched like it's really he has pretty much nothing to do with all the dysfunction what's going on now the defense you know showing up when they want to and whatnot but um yeah Jared Cook should be in a position to to really do some damage and and pad his stats in this game I'm going with Delaney Walker he is 5600 on DraftKings 6400 on FanDuel very quietly 60 or more yards receiving in five straight games for Walker. He's actually uh, hit 60 or more in seven of 11 games this season. And those seven 60 plus yard game actually weeds the position. That's one more than Zach Ertz, one more than Rob Gronkowski and one more than Travis Kelsey. So very, very quietly Delaney Walker doing what we exactly what we're used to him doing, which is uh, providing some uh, really consistent play at the tight end position for these Tennessee Titans. 
And one of the reasons that Dwayne has been able to be so consistent is that he's actually tied for second in uh, at the position, excuse me, with Rob Gronkowski behind only Kelsey in market share of his team's air yards at 26%. Most tight ends aren't really doing that much damage in terms of air yards, but Walker is getting targeted uh, at a decent target depth. One of only two tight ends uh, that have 50 or more targets that is has a average depth of target in the double digits, 10.6 average depth of target for Walker. That's behind only Rob Gronkowski among the 15 tight ends that have 50 or more targets. So Walker, he brings you some upside. In addition to that consistency, the Houston Texans, his opponent, 26th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. So they're allowing the seventh most schedule-adjusted points to tight ends. And uh, Walker, you know, another guy who, you know, play, has played 11 games, only scored his uh, first receiving touchdown last week, but he actually leads the Tennessee Titans in market share in the red zone, 22.9%. Did you see his uh, – did you see Chris Myers butcher Walker's touchdown celebration <laughs> he last said, week? Yeah. He said he was uh, burping the baby. <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> So Walker, for those of you guys who didn't see it, Walker finally scores the uh, – he finally catches a touchdown and he puts the ball on the ground and he starts aggressively giving it CPR and like really putting his whole body weight onto the ball. And Chris Myers goes, oh, look at Walker burping the baby. I love these <laughs> yeah. celebrations. And like, and like, I think I forget. I think it was Chris Spielman. I'm not, I'm not sure who it was who had to like correct him and be like, actually, he's. Uh, I think that's CPR. I'm gonna go with CPR there. The most, the most aggressive like, burping of a baby you've ever seen in your life. Like, yeah. When I, I actually I saw that yeah. live and it, it, it went across Twitter relatively quick. But at first, I was like, did nobody else hear what he just said? <laughs> <laughs> like it was like oh, Chris Myers is should not be a father. Let your wife hold the baby, homie, because <laughs> Yeah, that was that was one of the funnier things I heard last week. Um I right, moving on on to kicker after the, the burp and the baby. Kicker Fiasco. Uh my kicker, uh Nick Novak, forty seven hundred dollars on FanDuel. Uh, looks like he's all good to go after pulling some kind of a back muscle on Thanksgiving. Uh, mentioned it before with Rivers. Chargers are are uh, favored by almost two touchdowns. Huge implied point total. Uh, Cleveland has uh, been allowed quite a few kicker points, which isn't surprising because they've uh, been behind quite a bit, giving up quite a few points. 25th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. Uh, doesn't look like there's going to be any weather c- concerns on this slate, but uh, always good to have that reassurance of that good LA weather. So Nick Novak looks like he's going to suit up. Should be a fine, safe play kicker this week. Yeah, and I think he is stackable with the Chargers defense. Therefore, K on DK, 5,300 on FanDuel. Um, as you mentioned it, the odds are really in the Chargers' favor. Cleveland's implied total hovering around 14 points. So the odds makers uh, effectively expecting the Chargers to double up the Browns. And Cleveland is 31st in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing defense special teams. So, you know, large favorite, as you mentioned, TJ, 14 points, uh, the low implied total, all those things are correlated 
with fantasy production for defensive special teams. The Chargers, great pass rush, great front seven, can cover on the back end. So uh, multiple avenues for them to score some fantasy points with their defense special teams at home against the Cleveland Browns this week. Let's get into the primetime slate breakdown, and we have two games on this slate. Pretty good one. It should be at least between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. Uh, as we record this, the Eagles are six-point favorites with an over-under of 47.5, so Eagles implied 26.75, Seahawks 20.75. And then on Monday night, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers going on the road to Cincinnati to face the Bengals. The Steelers are five and a half point favorites. The over-under for that game, only 38. So Pittsburgh's implied total, even though they are the favorite, is only 21.75. And Cincinnati's is way down there at 16.25. So I guess we'll start at the quarterback position, TJ. We know the Eagles' defensive front is really strong. You know, they've been playing really good defense. Ronald Darby's helped out. Uh, Patrick Robinson playing real well in the slot on the back end as well. So Russell Wilson, though, you know, 25.9 DraftKings points per game uh, over the last seven games, which tends to be the most predictive sample size for a quarterback and uh, 24.9 points per game on FanDuel, only Deshaun Watson uh, average more over that span. And that was, you know, in a very small sample before he went down. So is Russell Wilson still the top quarterback on the slate? Or are you looking more at Carson Wentz, who since that same over that same span that I just mentioned for Wilson, Carson Wentz is um, right behind Wilson in points per game on both sites, 23.8 on DraftKings, 23.2 on FanDuel. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you probably have to go with what you mentioned up top and look at these opposing defenses. I mean, we know that Seattle's uh, secondary is they're, they're playing a bunch of backups because of injury. Uh, but on the flip side, over the past six weeks, even though Philadelphia started out not so strong, they're allowing the third fewest fantasy points per pass attempt. And again, that's looking uh, just at passing efficiency. And then over that same span, uh, Carson Wentz number one in passing efficiency in terms of fantasy points per pass attempt. Uh, Russell Wilson not far behind, tied for six, even if we take out his rushing totals. But uh but the way the defenses are trending, I, I think probably Wentz is the number one quarterback on this slate. Um, uh, I mean, you you do have to take into account what Russ has been doing, and he he gives you the the rushing upside. But Wentz gives you that rushing upside as well. I mean, they're, they're not far apart. Wentz has uh, some some really good scrambling ability, and for those reasons, I, I think just from a, a straight projection standpoint, I like Wentz. Yeah, it's going to be a really good matchup. Uh, I don't think you can go wrong. I don't think Wilson's going to have a terrible game um, himself. He'll probably keep doing what he's doing because if Wentz is balling the way we expect against this uh, decimated Seattle secondary, we know there are opposing passing game correlations. And and Wilson's pretty much been responsible for all of Seattle's offensive output this season. So I think you can't really go wrong with either of those guys. Um, you know, Andy Dalton, he'll be at home going against the Steelers. Brett Hundley did have some success, but not really expecting much of, of that from Andy Dalton. Uh, it's tough, tougher matchup, lower scoring game in this game. I think, I think you want to target the quarterbacks probably in the, in the other game more so than in this one. And that's because 
We know Ben Roethlisberger tends to struggle on the road. We know the Steelers tend to play down to their level of competition, but we also know that Le'Veon Bell on the road, that's where he really succeeds. He's kind of the, uh, it's kind of the corollary of Brown and, and, and Big Ben having such lopsided splits in favor of home games. Le'Veon Bell on the road, 23 of his 36 career touchdowns, 64% um, come on the road. And we know Le'Veon Bell is going to see the lion's share of the workloads. So I think, you know, against the Cincinnati defense, 24th and scheduled adjusted fantasy points allowed to the running back position. This is this week is the week where you want to get Le'Veon Bell, you know, kind of jammed in. I think last primetime slate, we kind of talked about how Antonio Brown was probably the way to go. He had the better matchup against that Packers secondary. But in this one, um, I think it's clearly Le'Veon Bell who has the uh, top matchup. You know, he's played he played 97% of the snaps against Green Bay. He played uh, 99% of the snaps two weeks ago, 90% in week 11. He's always hovering around that 90, uh, high 80s to 100% mark in terms of running back snaps. Don't really think you can go wrong with him. So TJ, you know, outside of Le'Veon Bell at running back, there's kind of a big drop off here. We have the, the Eagles backfield, but they're kind of a committee and the Seahawks defense has remained stout against the run. So, is it just kind of you're forced into using uh, Joe Mixon here as your as your RB two, or is is there somebody else maybe you're looking at? I, I think that Joe Mixon is the clear RB two from from a projection standpoint. I mean, we finally we saw the usage trending up. We finally saw it uh, turn into to uh, fantasy points last week. He was plodding along at like two yards per carry for the past three or four weeks, and then finally got it going uh, last week, and then we saw. Obviously, Jamal Williams against this very Pittsburgh defense uh, have a really good game with kind of a, a similar thing going on. We saw uh, Jamal Williams with uh, with that usage, but not the the big fantasy game. And I, I think Mix can keep that going against Pittsburgh. Now, after that game, Pittsburgh ranks 23rd in adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing running backs. But especially if you're playing on DraftKings, I, I think you do have to think about um, rolling out a little bit of J.D. McKissick. He saw uh, 21% of Seattle's targets last week, saw uh, at least 15% of their targets in three straight games. So um, that that cheap uh, receiving pivot play on a slate where we just don't have any other options. I mean, on these short slates, you have to mix it up a little bit. You can't roll. Oh, you can. You can do whatever you want. But rolling out 100% bell mixing and then not even uh, thinking about the flex or, or rotating that running back too, I just don't think is necessarily the, the most wise strategy. Strategy. So um, if there is any third running back, I, I think just a little bit of McKissick for that PPR value. Like you said, I, I'm just not messing with Philly's backfield uh, against um, Seattle or just because of how they're not rotating their backs in really any discernible or predictable way at this point. Yeah, and the Seattle defense has just been really tough on running backs. I mean, you go back to week eight and you know Lamar Miller 21 carries 54 yards the next week Rob Kelly 14 carries 18 yards Adrian Peterson in week 10 21 carries 29 yards Tevin Coleman in week 11 20 carries 43 yards Carlos Hyde last week 16 carries 47 yards and even more amazingly last week Carlos Hyde 13 targets 21 yards receiving Mm -hmm. so I mean you know I think in a large field tournament there's just because I think we expect Philly's offense to be successful as a whole that you may see 
one of Philly's backs get into the end zone. Um, that has happened against Seattle of late. They've allowed six uh, touchdowns to running backs over the past five weeks, uh, five rushing and one receiving. So I think you do have to keep that in mind in large field tournaments, but I, it would be hard for me to tell you, you know, who that would be. I mean, you got Jay Ajayi kind of mixing in with LeGarrette Blunt and then Clement getting most of that passing down work. But as I mentioned, the Seahawks have been just as tough um, defending running backs through the air. So it's kind of a crapshoot, but it is possible that that one of those backs kind of gets into the end zone and is of some value in, in a large field tournament. But, you know, I think McKissick clearly a little more um, gives you a little more reliability, just some more to hang your hat on in terms of the targets that that he's been getting. But, but Bell and Mixon, you know, it's clearly a hierarchy in these running backs uh, on this slate this week. Let's move on to wide receiver and wide receiver is pretty interesting. Start with Antonio Brown mentioned that Le'Veon Bell was kind of the guy on the road for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, we know Antonio Brown doesn't play as well on the road. Uh, The whole Steelers offense, they just, I think uh, Romo and Nance were talking about it a few weeks ago that they, something with their offensive line, and this is true for pretty much all teams, but, you know, just easier to communicate at home, not as easy to communicate on the road to check into some plays and audible into some plays. So um, that's kind of played out in Brown's numbers throughout the years. Only 17 of his 58 career receiving touchdowns have come on the road. That's only 29%. And he's also struggled against this uh, Cincinnati defense over his last five games against this defense. He's caught only 24 of 47 targets for 296 yards and two touchdowns. So that's only a 51% catch rate and 6.3 yards per target. And if you know Antonio Brown's numbers on the whole, you know that's very uncharacteristic for him, especially over a sample size that large. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. You know, Brown is always going to have that that upside for a, a tournament, but I think the floor is one of one of the lowest that can be for Antonio Browns in this particular matchup. And this is a situation where I think you do kind of give precedence to jamming in Le'Veon Bell over Antonio in, on, on this matchup, at least on paper and, and at least in, in cash game type of contest. So uh, TJ, uh, you know, going beyond Brown, you have AJ Green, you know, Pittsburgh giving up some explosive plays. Um, you have Doug Baldwin. He's going against Patrick Robinson, who's actually fourth out of 118 qualifiers in PFF coverage grades, playing well in the slot. Um, You have Alshon Jeffrey um, with no Richard Sherman. Alshon Jeffrey popped up on an injury report, limited in practice on Wednesday, but we get a lot of those on Wednesdays, usually just kind of maintenance days. Um, Where are you kind of looking as far as these other number one wide receivers go? Yeah, I mean, I I mentioned that – actually, I I don't think I mentioned – Ben Roethlisberger's been third in fantasy points per pass temp over the the last um, six weeks, so he's right up there with with the other guys we mentioned, um, Wentz and and Russell Wilson. But like you said, I think this might be an interesting spot to maybe pair Ben with some of his other receivers and get away from Antonio. Um, one because of the reasons you mentioned, two just because Antonio is really expensive, and I really want Le'Veon here, and it doesn't necessarily look like a slate where you're easily going to get both of them. Uh, I I do like AJ Green because he is going to account for uh, a huge portion of those targets, but 
I, I think, uh, especially if Juju comes back, this could be a really interesting spot. We saw, we know Juju's been really consistent um, when he's had the opportunity, but he and Martavis really haven't had a, a chance to to coincide together. But Martavis finally had a good game last week, caught a touchdown, and we saw Ben Roethlisberger go to him quite a few times in the red zone. So I think this is a spot where you could play Ben uh, with uh, one of his other receivers in Le'Veon. So Ben, Le'Veon, and then either Juju, I think it looks like he's going to play, or Martavis Bryant. If if Juju's out again, then definitely play Martavis. Uh, AJ Green on the other side, and then moving on to the to the other receivers, I think that uh, Paul Richardson's really interesting play because uh, obviously we're going to be looking at Doug Baldwin, but Patrick Robinson for the Eagles has actually been playing very well in the slot. You mentioned Ronald Darby, so if we can get uh, Richardson against Jalen Mills at least half of the time, Richardson's seen 20% target share in back-to-back games, and uh, we like those correlated passing games. We think if one of these games shoots out, it's going to be this one. Uh, I, I like Paul Richardson kind of as like that sneaky wide receiver out of these groups right now. Yeah, I like it too. I think I think that Baldwin, you know, at least on paper, you know, the matchup, you know, it's it's going to be tough for him. And um, you know, on the outside is probably you know just given that Eagles front and everything like that. On the out, the perimeter is still probably the place where you're going to have to beat the Eagles. And Russell Wilson, as I mentioned, at the end of the day, you know, if Philly's scoring a lot of points, Russell Wilson, you know, they're going to get their production somehow. Are are the the Seattle Seahawks? You know we know Russell Wilson's going to get it, and that means somebody in his receiving court has to get it. And yeah, I, I do like Paul Richardson as well. I think you have to look at um, Richardson and Lockett in this matchup um, on the outside. You know, especially on these small slates, you always kind of want those guys who can you know, do work down the field. Richardson, fifteen point four average depth of target uh, since week seven. Uh, for the Seattle Seahawks, Baldwin's down there at 12.7, and uh, Tyler Lockett's is up there at 16 as well. So um, I, I do like that call with uh, Paul Richardson. Um, you know, we have some, you know, if you're kind of really digging for for value, I guess you, you got to maybe take a look at a guy like Brandon LaFell. You know, he's had 10, 5, 6 targets these last three games, you know, not really doing much down the field, but has been – getting some targets in the red zone this season. So, um, you know, he's 24.3% uh, market share of the Bengals red zone targets. That's tied with AJ Green for the lead. So um, he's a guy that maybe gets you a touchdown and becomes an important part of this slate. And then, you know, for the Eagles, you know, we have Torrey Smith. Looks like he's um, healthy, kind of reemerged a little bit, caught a touch, uh, touchdown a couple weeks ago. Um, he's had, uh, five, four and five targets in back-to-back games. Um, hasn't really been out of the, the twos for a couple weeks before that. So, um, I think you look at him as well and yeah, that's pretty much all, all you got at wide receiver. Um, Nelson Aguilar, always a guy that can kind of do some things in any given game with the Seattle secondary, a little banged up. Perhaps he could, could get some things going, but yeah, I think you hit it. I think Baldwin's a guy you might have a, might might struggle a little bit in, in Brown as well, at least compared to to what you're gonna have to pay for them. At tight end, Zach Ertz, double digit fantasy points in nine of the ten games he's played, double digits on both sites scoring system. And then you have Jimmy Graham on the other hand. He popped up on the injury report on Wednesday as we record this as well. Did not participate in Wednesday's practice with an ankle 
injury. But again, these are usually things that we just see happen on Wednesdays. It's a little frustrating because we have to do a lot of our recording and our content on on Wednesday sometimes and we can't always guarantee that that these guys are are fine but usually when you see these guys kind of randomly pop up on Wednesday it just means that they're getting a maintenance day and they're usually either you know removed um, by by the time the the actual real injury reports get finalized on Friday or whatever not so I think Graham should be good to go he's leading the league with 23 red zone targets also leading the league with 14 targets inside the opponent's 10-yard line. And he actually leads the league by four targets in both of those categories. So if you're kind of choosing between Ertz and Graham, and, and Ertz is significantly uh, priced up on on Graham, uh, especially on a DraftKings where he's 6,900 compared to Graham at 5,500, which of these two tight ends do you think is a superior play um, in in this matchup? Oof, man, I mean, the I have a hard time fading Ertz's volume in this one, especially because, like we mentioned, I, I don't think um, I'm jamming in Antonio Brown. So if I'm I'm looking for that uh, stability in terms of my pass catchers, I don't know if if there's necessarily a, a player that's going to be more stable than Ertz. I mean, I know AJ Green is on the slate, but uh, we don't really know if the Bengals are, are going to be able to put up much point, many points in this one, and. I mean, with Philly's Philly's offense has been behind the arm of Wentz, and uh, that driving force has been Zach Ertz. So I I think from a raw projection standpoint, I'm still taking uh, Ertz over Graham. But depending on on my my lineup construction and, and the way that I'm uh, building the rest of my team, I mean, I'm definitely going to be rotating in um, uh, Graham. But but Ertz is Ertz is a guy that I think I'll probably still have more of even though he's probably going to be the more popular play here yeah it's something to keep in mind you mentioned Raybon's review the the week 12 article you know I, I break down the winning DraftKings millionaire maker lineup and this week actually for just the second time since 2015 there was a tight end in the flex position and on a smaller slate like this I mean we just talked about it running back is really ugly there's not really three running backs that you could hang your hat on and say, these guys are, are are definitely worthy of, you know, my top three spots. It's really Le'Veon Bell. And then you're just hoping that Joe Mixon can find some efficiency again this week. But I think you can give a, a lot of consideration on DraftKings to going with Ertz and Graham, in, you know, tight end and flex, and then paying down at the wide receiver position or something like that, because, you're going to have to find a way to kind of get some of these points if these running backs aren't really doing the job. So um, like both of these guys, I mean, can't really go wrong. You know, Ertz has been very consistent. Graham getting the red zone target. So, um, you know, definitely consider on DraftKings at least flexing um, one so that you can play both of those guys in the same lineup. Punt plays, it just comes down to Tyler Croft, who really just hasn't been – putting up the yardage I mean he's got 13 targets over his last three games and only 30 yards now he scored touchdowns in each of those last two games so again you know large field tournament if he happens to get into the end zone he could help you but not really looking promising otherwise for his upside and uh, Jesse James kind of in that same boat kind of a guy who can get you some targets sometimes but he's usually not really getting you many yards uh, per target so um, those guys are just really 
more so dart throws than anything else. But hey, you know, in these small slates, you never know. I think um, there was a small slate tournament um, last week, and I, the guy who finished first had like Nick Boyle at tight end, and he had like 1.9 DraftKings points, and that was enough to, to that was the difference between him finishing in first place. So um, in these in these large fields. Anything can happen. You have to kind of give consideration to almost everybody, especially after you kind of get your core plays together. Then you you have to sometimes pivot and play guys that just fill out the lineup and you know kind of sacrifice some some floor just to get the upside of the the main core four, five, six guys that you want in your lineup. So something to think about there. And then at the defense special teams, um, TJ, do you like the Steelers? as the favorite in that more of a low scoring game on the road, or do you like the Eagles on the road, similar point spread, little higher scoring game, but they're probably playing even better defense than the Steelers right now. Uh, yeah, I actually like, like the defense that's, that's going to be in the higher scoring game. That might seem a, a little bit counterintuitive, but uh, I mean, we already saw the Steelers kind of get beat up last week against the Packers. So uh, that obviously, uh, gives us some more risk. And then even if that, that Eagles uh, Seahawks game is a little more high scoring, more passing opportunities, more chances at turnovers. Uh, Philadelphia has actually uh, been generating turnovers quite well uh, near the top of the league and in, in interception rate over the past few weeks. So actually the top of the league over the past six weeks. So uh, even though they, they might give up some points to the Seahawks, I think that's a spot where probably their upside is a little bit higher just because they're going to face more um, higher leverage scenarios, more opportunities for uh, sacks, turnovers, and hopefully a touchdown, which obviously is more fantasy points than just a, a low scoring grinding out game. Right, yeah, I definitely um I definitely see that. I think I like the I think I like the Steelers more in this one just because I, I just really respect what Russell Wilson's been doing this season. I think I think this game is gonna be a shootout actually. Um this Eagles this Eagles Seahawks game. So uh, you know, just because just because of that, I think I'd probably lean toward the Steelers um in this one. But I certainly the Eagles have a, a ton of upside for exactly what you mentioned. They're probably gonna be facing a lot more passes and anytime you're facing more passes, um you can you have more opportunities for points. That's a passes or pass attempt. Opposing pass attempts are essentially volume for a defense in the same way that we look at touches for running backs or we look at targets for wide receivers. So definitely can understand that. Let's go ahead and build our DraftKings lineup. I'll put it in the uh, 750K Sunday Night Spectacular on the primetime slate. Start us off with your first pick, TJ. Uh, lock in Le'Veon Bell, best value on the slate. All right, I will go with, let's go correlate that with the Steelers D. All right. I'm going to, I'll let you decide how we we roll these other spots. I'm going to go with our running back two, uh, go with a clear running back two on the slate, Joe Mixon. All right. I'm going to go with, let's go, let's get Zach Ertz in there at tight end. Okay. So we got, uh, we got 5060 remaining, um, average per player remaining with five players, the quarterback, three receivers, and a flex. <clears throat> I, I, I mentioned this strategy for a second, um, and that's, 
pairing Roethlisberger, playing Roethlisberger, um, maybe without Antonio Brown. So just be, I, I think Roethlisberger is going to be quite a bit uh, lower owned than Winston Wilson, but as I mentioned, he's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks of late. Um, so with the price saving and, and ownership savings, I'm going to go Roethlisberger. I think it's a little bit more off the board, and, and that could be one of those plays that uh, really swings a slate. I like it. All right, so now we got 47.50 remaining for four players, three wideouts, and a flex. So I'm going to actually go put Jimmy Graham in mm. that flex spot. Okay. So now we got 4,500 remaining for the three receivers. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're going to play Roethlisberger, we're, we're going to want one of his receivers. Um, still not sure if Juju's going to play. So I'm going to roll with those red zone targets that Tavis saw last week and plug in Martavis at 45. All right, so that keeps our average right there at 45. Two players remaining, and I am going to go and let's go with yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Paul Richardson here. I, I like that call a lot, and I think he's got a good chance to weed Seattle um, or, or weed Seattle receivers, wide receivers in receiving this week. So locking Paul Richardson there, 4600. So now we got 4400. Um, for one more wide receiver, you got Tyler Lockett, Brandon LaFell, Torrey Smith, Tanner McAvoy, uh, Matt Marcus Johnson, Amara Darbo, Matt Collins, uh, and a bunch of other Eli Rogers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dar- Dar- Darbo's actually seen a few deep targets. He just doesn't see see enough targets. Um, LaFell's actually tied with AJ Green for uh for the uh most red zone targets on the team both with nine uh so the fell is going to leave us with with nine hundred dollars salary on the table but that's something that is okay in this spot and and mixing in the fell um that might sound bad against Steelers D but I mean if you can get that floor from mixing the fell scores a, scores a touchdown you could still uh get enough points from Steelers so LaFell's I think LaFell um is the guy I'm going to go here yeah, I like it. You know, it gives us a little contrarian roster construction because we're leaving money on the table. It gives us some leverage over AJ Green because you have Mixon, LaFell. So if they score touchdowns and Steelers are kind of paying attention, trying to sh- sell out to shut him down, you might see um, those guys kind of benefit. We have the, the we also have the differentiated roster construction with the two tight ends, you know, in there. So and Big Ben. So yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. We'll see. I, I don't think our lineup last week. Um, did very well. I'm not I, I'm trying to pull it up right now, but no. I, with with Jamal going off and, and Hunley going off, if you didn't have some some combo of them with Adams, it was you weren't winning anything. Yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure our one it was like not even in the top fifty <laughs> percentile. So we got to turn this thing around, get get a good cash going here for this prime time slate. But let's uh, let's get into these bowl calls and then get out of here. TJ, start us off with a uh, team bowl yeah, call. For, for the second week in, the, in a row, we actually ended up on the same bowl call. I don't know. We, we don't exchange notes beforehand, so it was funny to see it again. So I, I pivoted to uh, to a different game. Uh, it looks like Marshawn Lattimore and Ken Crawley are both practicing. And even though Cam Newton's been playing well in terms of fantasy, he's still been grossly inefficient uh in terms of throwing the ball. So if Lattimore and Crawley are healthy and they could uh, maybe put a spy on cam or something, I think New Orleans could run away with this one. My bold call, New Orleans beats Carolina by two touchdowns. Very interesting, you know, because it's actually funny too, because we were going to, you told me that, you know, I'll tell, I'll tell you guys my bold call in a second, but 
you told me th- that we had the same bold call. So you pivoted to that one. And, you, and, and, I, and I actually, I said, oh, hey, I can, I can get <laughs> off the, the bold call that I'm about to say and go to this game. But what's funny is I was actually going to say uh-huh. the opposite. I was going to say that Carolina was going to, um, was going uh-huh. to beat New Orleans um, just because uh, they are the best uh, sure. defense uh, statistically that New Orleans has faced. But, you know, I, you know you've, you've been on the hot streak with the bold calls. Uh, I'm not sure if you got it last week, but I know you had a little streak going there. Um, about, about about three four weeks where, where you're killing it, so I, I got to defer to you here. Um, and uh, for me, I'm going with the the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think the bleeding stops this week. I think they lose their four straight game on the road to the New York Jets. I mean, at this point, we know what's going on with KC. Teams are playing cover two zone against them, and they're they've not been able to run with two deep safeties. Um, and which is which is really problematic. They haven't really been able to get Kareem Hunt in in any type of space. His yards before contact is way down, and they haven't been able to scheme up plays in the passing game that really beat it either. You know, the the, the two deep safeties limit those big plays from Tyreek Hill because you have a safety deep on each side of the field, and for whatever reason. Uh, Casey hasn't been able to, to to beat that with Travis Kelsey. Um, even though he's he can put up numbers, he's putting up numbers here and there. So you know, I think you know the Steelers provided that blueprint, and every team's followed it uh, successfully, except the Oakland Raiders, which is why their defensive coordinator probably got fired. So I'm going with the uh, with the KC Chiefs to to continue to continue their yeah. We, we always talk about doing a little quick spot check on the lines right when they come out or prices or whatever it might be, and. I mean, I saw this game coming up on the schedule and I was actually surprised when the lines came out. I thought there was a chance that the Jets were going to be a home favorite because I think the Kansas City fall off has been one of the more covered and, and public stories. I think people are well aware of Kansas City falling off and Jets have been decent. So I actually thought there was a chance that uh, this game was either going to be closer or Jets were going to be a home favorite. Yeah, that's a good point. I I think it's, I mean... I don't know exactly how the the mo- everyone's models or, or everyone's different models are working and how Vegas's or the you know the odds makers models are working, but I'm guessing that to some extent they're still incorporating the early season data, you know, even if it's not weighted at the same um, you know as much as the, as the recent data is weighted. So I, I think that's probably why you're seeing that. But I mean, we've seen the Jets be competitive pretty much week in and week out. Big shout out to the Jets because, you know, coming into the season, everybody kind of buried them. And, you know, I, I was right there. I, I was critical of uh, of their GM, McCagnan, and, and what he was doing. I thought he didn't really sound like he had a plan in the draft, you know, kind of drafting players on character and looking at that a little more than skill. But, I mean, some of his draft picks have worked out really well, the safeties and, and whatnot. We'll see what happens with the wideouts they took in the middle rounds. But um, Jets hanging in there, playing well, and – I think you know if they just follow that bl- blueprint that Pittsburgh kind of laid out, playing that zone defense against KC. Um, until I see KC beat beat it, now I'm I'm, I'm pretty much going to be betting yeah, against absolutely. them. Absolutely. Uh, going on to my player bold call. Uh, not a player. I'm going with a, a a unit, but it's still fantasy value. Uh, my bold prediction is Jacksonville defense not one. But they get two defensive touchdowns this week. Uh, the the number one adjusted sack rate uh, defense going against the the worst offensive line in terms of adjusted sack rate. Uh, we have a nine and a half point line. You don't think of a Jaguars as a team that's going to blow someone out. And Indies uh, has kind of been trying to 
uh, hide Brissett a little bit, but I don't think they're going to be able to. I think they're going to get down, and I think that this pass rush is going to get after him. And uh, uh, Jacksonville, uh, let's cross our fingers for two touchdowns this week. Oh, man, I love it. Uh, Jacksonville, I love pointing this out, but they already have, let's see, one, two, three. They already have mm-hmm. four 20-point games on the season, and even though they're priced way up where it might kind of push people away from rostering them, even in a tournament, if you just look at the amount of 20-point games that Jacksonville has or even just the average amount of fantasy points per game that they have, they're at 14.5 on DraftKings. Look at other players in that salary range and how many 20-point games they have, and you'll quickly see that the Jaguars aren't such a bad play in that salary range at all. Obviously, that that means less salary for some of the other positions, but you know, just in terms of straight-up value for what you're paying, Jaguars actually have just as much upside as a lot of other players uh, in, in that salary range. So I definitely like that call there. They're back at home. They're a favorite. Had a tough game against Arizona. You know, they're going to be itching to come out and play some good football in this game. For me, I am going with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that he is going to play turnover-free football. I think he's going to get a couple of touchdowns, reach 20 fantasy points, uh, and beat the Chicago Bears up in Soldier Fields. I think that's going to kind of be the narrative next week after these games are done. It's going to be like, oh, wow, San Francisco might just have their quarterback. I think Jimmy's going to show out right away. It's kind of an under-the-radar game, you know, low total, no one, you know, no one really paying too much attention to it with, with some of these other games going on. But, you know, I, I think I think Jimmy, we've, every time we've seen him play, he's been playing pretty well. And Chicago, even though they play at this kind of – they play at this kind of slow pace, this run-heavy offense that kind of mutes production. They have been struggling a bit on defense since week eight. The Bears are 29th in pass defense success rate. So successful play is essentially, you know, you, you get you get a, a certain number of yards on first down. I believe it's four yards on first down, and you get half of the yards on second down, and, and so on. And so you convert on third down and fourth down, so on and so forth. So, you know, Chicago, 29th in the league in that metric. They've been allowing 71.5 completion rate since week eight and 8.6 yards per attempt with a six to nothing touchdown to interception ratio. So uh, I'm going with Jimmy G balling out in his first game. Yeah, up I, like that call. I think he uh, came in uh, just at the end of that game and threw the first red zone touchdown for the 49ers, I think in five weeks. So uh, why not? <laughs> yeah, man. All right, guys. Well, uh, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Thank you for sticking with us. I know we're in the home stretch of the season. Hopefully we're still providing you guys with some, some insights, some things to think about, um, you know, thought process wise, even if you're, even if you don't always agree with all the picks, you know, we try to walk through exactly how we are thinking about the picks and you know what, what kind of stats and metrics we're looking at and what, what we're kind of looking at to arrive at these conclusions. So hopefully you guys are, are picking up on some of that stuff too. And uh, thanks for listening. Follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Follow myself on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Be sure to check out 444.com uh, if you're still looking for some uh, season-long content, some DFS content. Any last words, Just come, come kick it and get this money. Let's get this money. Right now, fight is a point, say, yeah. At times, I'm a studio conveyor. 
Mr. Dinkins, would you please be my mayor? You'll be doing us a really big favor. Boy, this track really has a lot of flavor. When it comes to rhythm, sports is your savior. Follow us for the funky behavior. Make a note on the rhythm. We 